0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm Sam, one of the team, if we haven't met, by the way. It's good to be with you this morning. And I'd like to present this thesis. Aldous Huxley, Tolstoy, Shakespeare, Jesus Christ, Desiree, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Taylor Swift. Like all, of, all of them had the same message. They all had the same message. And it's this, that you and I, in the realities of the ordinariness of our life, uh, don't stop to wonder what the bigger picture is all about. Do you wonder? What do you wonder about? And so we'll probably wonder, are we going to make it through the week? Is my body going to hold up? <laughs> Am I going to be okay? Uh, Is it is it going to be all right this Christmas? Will this relationship repair? You know, they were constantly caught in the realities of everyday life. But what like what do you really really wonder about? You know, some of you know as a kid, my favorite movie was The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter was just one of the greatest movies ever made, frankly. You know, it was about a guy called Alex Rogan who lived in a caravan park in the middle of nowhere, plays this video game and scores the high score. And within five minutes of playing this video game, this spaceship lands in the middle of the ca- caravan park out of nowhere. And it says, uh, Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited to defend the frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. And this nobody gets swept into this alien spacecraft up into Discover. All of these different creatures that were living in space, into this giant war that was happening throughout the universe, and all of it depended on him, and as a result, he was the one who saved the entire universe. <sighs> you can see why it was so inspirational. <laughs> and you know, there was, there, was, there was not an arcade throughout the 80s. That's right, you know, it's, it's difficult to find an arcade these days, isn't it? One of the tragedies of life. Um, but there was not an arcade throughout the 80s that, that I didn't wish somehow I would see a last Starfighter machine somewhere and that just maybe, just maybe I would get the high score and maybe, just maybe that an alien spacecraft would whisk me into space. <laughs> Is that just me? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, smarty pantsers. (laughs) So here's my question for you guys then. Do you still wonder? When did you stop wondering? You know, when you got all grown up, we got all adult, we learned how to sit quietly in church. (laughs) Do you still wonder? You know, and then you start to wonder, and then your wonder leads to more wondering. Look, before I confuse you, here's what I want to say to us this morning, that all of us view the world through a frame of reference, a, a window, if you may, that is, is a way of, of looking at, at, at not only the world, but how it relates to our, our future and how our future relates to faith. I heard someone once say that we are irreducibly hope-based Creatures, that our present behaviour is affected by our believed in futures. In other words, that our present behaviours, whether we are people of dynamism and of life and of wonder, totally depends on the lens that we view life through. And part of the challenge in all of that is that those lenses, they're like a whole set of answers that help us make sense of life. And then what happens is when we begin to to, to get the answers, we realise that, A, we not only don't have all the answers, but sometimes those answers are inadequate. And so <laughs> the wonder that led to wondering just leads to more wonder. And this is not just for people of the faith, by the way. Scientists do this all the time. You know, there was, <laughs> there, there was a period in our history, you know, where for centuries people believed that the earth was flat and, and, and most of all, that for centuries, for thousands of years up until this point, that, that people believed that the entire universe revolved around the earth. And then back in the late 1400s, 1500s, uh, there was a guy called Copernicus who was sitting at his desk. And he's right there with his pen or his quill or whatever they write right with back then. And, and he held it up held it up to his lips as he's, as he's thinking and he's writing and he's as a mathematician and he's a scientist and he, he, looks, he looks out at these stars that he's been observing and he, and he says, I, I wonder, I wonder, if, I wonder if it's the other way around. I, I wonder if we're the one that is rotating around the sun. And something changed. History changed. And there was a whole, at least for science at least, there was a whole new way of looking at the world. And there was a whole new way of seeing life. And things became clearer. And things became more wonderful. And that discovery led to more discoveries that led to more discoveries. And and here we are today. Someone wondered through their frame of reference and realized that the wonder would lead to more wonder. (laughs) What the heck has this got to do with Christmas? Um... All of you have a frame of reference through which you view the world. Whether you're Christian, non-Christian, you've got a frame of reference. And it's that frame of reference that helps you determine what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is true news, what is fake news. The frame of reference that you view life through, and, and it's your default. You're already locked into it. You don't realize, but you are. And I know how to prove it, that you've all got your own individual default. Have a look at this picture. We'll do a little test here. Class, uh, who can see a duck? Put your hand up if you can see a duck. Put your hand up if you see a rabbit. (laughs) Now put both hands up if you're a person that saw one, but when you heard the person next to you go, oh, see both of them now. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Which one's true? Which one's right? You see, all of us lock into a frame of reference. I'm a duck man, if you're wondering. I was a duck man. That's the true one. That's the right one, because the preacher says. <laughs> Look, if it's, if it's true of this, could it be possible that your default view of the world is a default specific view of the world to you that could be totally different from the person sitting next to you? Some people are still working it out. <laughs> The truth is we've all got these inherited frames, these ways of looking at the world. And and most of them, if we're real now, if we stop to think about it, we've inherited this from mum and dad, haven't we? That's why we do it at dedication. You become most like who you hang around. And so most of us in this room, it might be fair to say, have inherited a a religious framework or a Christian framework. Uh, But there 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 could be people in this room that have received an atheistic framework that says there is no God. Or a karma-based framework that says, you know, it's just what goes around comes around. Or a fatalistic framework that says, you know what, uh, stuff happens and there's a divine power that's working it all together and it's just fate. Or a moralistic framework that says, you know what, as long as you're good and you're right and you do the right things and you pray and you go to church, then God's going to love you and the world's going to be good. Does that, does that make sense to you? Can you see how there's, there's not one way of looking at the world in particular. And so we inherit these frameworks and then something happens, something quite drastic around about the age of 16, 17, 18, we grow up. <laughs> and some of you, you've gone off to university, you do those things, you, you, you take smart classes, you take arts classes, or you meet that friend, who's constantly chattering in your ear or influencing you. And, and suddenly you start to find that the world and things start pushing in against your framework. And it starts to become more and more tense. And you've anyone felt this? That, that framework you've, been, you've, you've inherited. There's certain frameworks around Christmas that will remain nameless but devastates certain children at the latter stages of their life. You know what I'm talking about, okay? (laughs) Our life begins to push in against it. Hey, have anyone here heard the term paradigm shift? Oh, my goodness, have we heard paradigm shift? Um, You know, it was a a phrase that was coined by Thomas Kuhn. He was a scientist. So he was the one that first came up with it before the marketeers hijacked it. Now everything's a paradigm shift. Right and and so uh, Kuhn says this. Uh, he he says that 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 scientific progress wasn't really a long linear march towards truth, but rather hear this: a set of alternating normal and revolutionary phases in which communities of specialists in particular fields don't miss this are plunged into periods of turmoil, uncertainty, and angst. <laughs> Anyone ever experienced turmoil, uncertainty and angst? Good, you're very normal. <laughs> and the good news, if you've experienced that, is that you, you, you are in the perfect place to be in a situation in which there can be a paradigm shift, as Corden as would put it, a different way of looking at the world. I think Stephen, Steve, what does Stephen Covey call it? A, an aha moment. An aha moment. And so... Suddenly, when you move into these moments of turmoil, you have these aha moments. And maybe some of you have felt this. You have an aha moment where you, where you inherit a framework, particularly if you're a person of faith. And you've focused on a, a priest or a pastor or a church or a set of circumstances. And you've been transfixed on that. And you've been so transfixed on it that you've built all of these things as your frame and your way of, of looking at the world. And then turmoil hits. And there's chaos, and then suddenly those moments where life circumstances push in, and everything that you thought God would or God could or God might God didn't. And he wouldn't. And so you. You start wondering. And then if if, if, if this stuff pushes in against your frame hard enough, you don't just start wondering, but you start wondering. And the wandering leads to wandering. And for some of you, you walked away from the faith. Because he or she or God or the church or the Bible or whatever it was that you were focused on let you down. And I know it to be the case that this morning I speak to people that are either in that situation because they've been here all year. Or even more importantly, that some of you are sitting quietly in your seats this morning and you feel this and you feel life situations pushing in on you and pushing against your faith framework. And you think that you are ready to wander away from God and you're so afraid of saying it, dare anyone in the church find out about it. And can I say, if that's you, that that's great. You've got all, you've got all the ingredients for a, for a spiritual aha moment. <laughs> And here's, here's, here's what I'm getting at. This. People are already thinking. He's 15 minutes in and he hasn't even mentioned the Bible. What sort of church is this? I'm getting to it. <laughs> it's a simple but it's a very complex verse. I'm not going to give you a heap of it this morning. There is a complexity in this verse but there is a simplicity beyond the complexity of this verse that is world changing. Don't get me wrong. This verse changed the world. But here's what I want to do. If, if you've wondered and then you've wandered and maybe you are wondering this morning, uh, what we want to do in this series is uh, we, we want to invite you to invite Jesus back into the centre of your frame of reference this year. Because last time I checked, it's pretty difficult to avoid Christmas. <laughs> it keeps coming around every year. And there are lots of ways that lots of people try to avoid that. It happens in the Christmas cards and, and you say, Happy Holidays, and if you want to know how to avoid it, you just look at the marketing campaigns of Woolies and Aldi and all the rest of it this year, at the millions of dollars that go into shaping statements to take Christ out of Christmas. It's it's very clever, um, but you, you're not going to avoid it. And and here's here's what we're here's what we're going to get to right now as we as we come into to the word because I want to set this up the way that John was setting this up to be preached. This amazing letter that he did. I want to ask you this, in inviting Jesus back into your frame of reference, if you're not a believer, if you're not yet following him, if you've wandered from the faith, would you be open to considering that that you've got a frame of reference that is unique to you and sees things a little bit different from us? But it's changeable. And that's exactly what John does when he preaches through his letter one of the greatest first line statements of every great introduction of every great book of every great chapter that was written throughout literary history in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us we've seen his glory the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth john chapter 1 1 and 14 Now, that is an incredibly loaded statement in there, which uh, we have to unpack a little bit because that, let's be real, that just sounds obscure. (laughs) You know, in the beginning was the word. It's almost like Sesame Street, word of the day. You know, it's just, (laughs) in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word. Anyone that reads that thinks, what the heck is that supposed to mean? Um, The Greek word for word underneath the word (laughs) was logos. And the logos was an incredibly significant loaded Greek word. Uh, the logos the Greeks had been debating for years. Uh, and, and the logos to the Greeks was the word of all words. The logos to the Greeks was the one unifying, all-encompassing, guiding principle for life. In, in short, the logos for the Greeks was, can we come up with a principle, a statement would, that would give people literally the reason and the meaning for life? So let's read this again. In the beginning was the reason for life. And the reason for life was with God. And the reason for life was God. And on top of that, that reason for life became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. You know, the, the message of Christmas is literally as simple as this that, that John is speaking to people with this frame of reference as to how the world works. By then, by that time, it had been boiled down to two major views, the Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics were a a branch of Greek philosophy that said, you know what, there is no truth, so find morality, find duty, find something that is disciplined, stick to that, and that's your meaning for life. And then over on the other side, you have the Epicureans who were, there is no truth, life's relative, we can never know the truth, so just live however you want. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> just pause for a oh Oh, we're such modern people. <laughs> oh, we're such modern people. Wow, we've thought, you know, postmodernism, relativism. You know, it's... Is, is this not the narrative of our society today? It's been happening for thousands of years. <laughs> there, is, there is no truth. Everything's... Relative And so John comes into that type of cultural setup, which, by the way, shows you the power of the gospel, no different from what we're dealing with today. And he says, guys, it's not about duty and it's not about going nuts and eating as much lollies as you would like. Um, in the beginning was the reason for life. And this reason for life is not only God, but God's a person. And God has <laughs> jumped in onto our side of the frame. And he has dwelt amongst us. That is a remarkable statement. (laughs) That is a remarkably unique statement. You don't get that in other religions. You do not get this out of any other religion in the world. And that's what makes it so. (laughs) You know, you know what this is? You know you know what this was with John? (laughs) It was history's first paradigm shift. Yep, John got in there before the marketers and all the rest of it. And what, he's, what he was saying to his audience, and by the way, he says it to you this morning, if you are yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what he's saying is you are not people who lack faith. A Christian is not someone that is someone who has a big faith, and a non-Christian is someone who's got the inty faith, and they've got to be like the big faith people. No, a Christian is someone who's merely had a spiritual paradigm shift. And it could happen to you this morning when you hear these words and you begin wondering again and you've been thinking and you're seeing your frame of reference and you're, you're unbuckling from all of that and then something happens by the power of the Holy Spirit and something stirs within you and you have, you have an aha moment. <laughs> and you do, this is how you become a Christian, you do what half of you this morning, I listened to you do it when you were seeing the duck and then you saw the rabbit. Were you one of those people? What did the person next to you do when they did that? Like they, they literally audibly groaned, didn't they? I heard half an auditorium go "ah." Oh. So, you just did—you just did that off a picture of a rabbit duck. Can you imagine what? Can you imagine what happens to your life spiritually when you have an aha home moment when you come to recognize and believe the truth that God became a man? What are you gonna do with that? Have you lost that? Can I suggest to you that that will that simplicity on the other side of the complexity of all of that stuff? By the way, you could preach 52 weeks just on that first verse. We won't do it to you, but you can. <laughs> um, you won't do it unless you take the time to allow it to sink in and to unbuckle from your framework. And more often than not, it's, it's certain times of life that allow that to happen. I, the, the classic for me is um, th- this last month, sadly, I've, I've had you know, the, the sad part of pastoral ministry where I've spent more time with dying people in the last month than I have in about the last 18 months. And, you know, guys, personally, some, something profound happens in those moments when you have those conversations. I'm just on Friday. I was sitting with one of our much loved ladies who's uh, dying of pancreatic cancer, and we're, we're around at, uh, at at her house, <laughs> and um, all the family are there, and we're all gathered around, and and she and her classic, brash original North Side away said, "All right, Sam, what are we doing here? What's the deal? We're going to pray," <laughs> and then and then and then she says, "Yeah, I'm dying," <laughs> yeah, and and then and then she says. And if that's the case, can you get me another biscuit? Because I've been dining all my life. I'm going to have one now. We're laughing like this. And it is a pretty... Just pause for a second. It's a pretty remarkable thing that we can laugh like that. We're not being flippant. We're being Christian. And Christians have a frame of reference. Remember, we're irreducibly hope-based creatures. And nothing uncovers... And distills what your future hope is than in a moment when you understand the truth that you are dying. And there, are, there is nothing, guys. I see personally in the world that is more powerful and more compelling about this frame of reference when you speak to a faithful Christian in the midst of, in the face of death. They're not afraid. They laugh. <laughs> they laugh and they eat a few more biscuits <laughs> because there's a deep conviction that they believe the truth of the one verse that you got today. That's all you're getting today, by the way. I'm sorry, we've got to ration it out for Christmas. One verse, God became a man and he dwelt amongst us. And anyone who holds on to that is a person that passes through life. Anyone who's known or loved a person that believes that moves through life with a joy and a wonder that many don't possess. And then, of course, we, you know, we had our, our good friend Pascal in, in recent weeks and I'd share that over communion for some of you, but not all of us were here but it needs to be told, you know, when, when a man is days away from his death. You know, we knew Pascal. He was, he was just amazing thinker, feisty, you know, feisty type too. You know, we've got, we've got the theological group down there. He used to give it to Pastor Viva, his connection group leader. <laughs> all the theology and the fights and the wrestles and all that sort of stuff but there was the one thing that he said to me that I just can't escape in that moment where he said Sam you you have to understand and I think he was telling me that because he was he was wanting you to understand that what is said on a Sunday morning really matters and he said for all of my arguing and all the rest of the stuff that we've been through and backwards and forwards and around in circles you know nothing matters Except the question at this point in my life, do I trust God? Did He or didn't He come from there, through there, and live here? And if your answer is no to that, you should be brunching. <laughs> Shouldn't you? You should. I'm not being facetious, I'm being biblical. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that, doesn't he? The Apostle Paul sums it all up like that. Like if if Christ didn't live and then was raised from the dead, you might as well be brunching. That's the crow's nest amplified version. (laughs) (laughs) These dear friends had a frame of reference that gave them a resilience and a joy in the face of the scariest thing that we spend most of our lives trying to avoid. And that is available to you this morning. If you're willing to uncouple from your inherited framework this morning. If you're willing to consider the truth of what John was saying was just not some spiritual gobbledygook, but he thought about it and he knew how we worked as humans. And most of all, he says, I witnessed it. I saw him, and I, and I will go to the grave. And luckily for him, he was just about the only one of the disciples that didn't. Everyone else was killed because of what they saw. But he said, I'll go to the grave if I have to, to let you know that we saw God who has become a man. And of course, at Christmas, that only happens if it was a baby. <laughs> what are you going to do with that? I think we... We overly cushify Christmas and we over babyfy Christmas and we think it's sweet and we think it's sparkly. <laughs> but it's far deeper and it's far more profound than that. Look, if you're a person who's wondered and then your, your wondering has led to wandering because a pastor or a priest or the church or Christianity didn't leave, um, live up to its expectations for you, can I ask you to consider... Um, this, that w- what is it that, that the faith that you think you had at that point in time was fastened to? And to wander back this way, this year, at Christmas. But I'm conscious I also talked to a room full majority full of Christians this morning, and some of you are probably thinking, well, what's all this sort of framework stuff got to do with Christmas? Where's the love and the peace and the joy Where's all the nativity stuff? You know, like where's, where's, we've done some carols. Where's, where's all the classic Christmas stuff? You know, look. Here's what I want to do this morning, and and I'm a bit I'm a bit nervous about it. I don't do this often as a pastor, <laughs> but I've prayed about it, so I'm feeling okay with it. <laughs> here's what I want to do this morning. If if you're a Christian here this morning, I want to call you to repent. I want to call you to repent. Now now before you want to throttle me you know you're thinking what do you want about son you know it's not the 18th century this is not a spurgeon sermon you know what's going on we're modern people you know i think here's the problem repentance has been hijacked For years, the word repentance, you know, we've we've come to think means, you know, repentance means to you were once sort of traveling in all of your horrible, wicked, sinful ways and you need to repent and you need to turn 180 degrees and you need to move back towards Jesus. Anyone ever heard or felt that was the definition of repentance? And I struggle with that because I know this church and I love this church and I love the people in this church. And I can tell you 90% of the people are not in that category. You know, you've, you've got about five degrees to go. (laughs) about five some have got two (laughs) but it's never what repentance meant the Greek word for repentance is meta noiete meta think above think beyond meta noiete your thinking your notions think about your notions think about your thinking repentance means think about your thinking repentance simply means wonder Will you wonder again? And the biggest risk for you and I at Christmas is we come into this place and we think, oh, I've heard it all. I've done it. Love, joy, peace. Done it. Christmas. No, 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 no. There's not, that, that wasn't the message of Jesus. Jesus is What was Jesus' primary message throughout all of his life? The same message over and over again. His message wasn't, come to me because you're a horrible, horrible, rotten, sinful person. His message was not, um, you know, you need to go and be a very good person and then God will accept you. No, his message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His message was, metanoiete, think about your thinking because I'm telling you, my kingdom is right in front of your nose. You know what Jesus' message was to you and it is to us this morning? Maybe it's a rabbit. Maybe it's a rabbit. And you've, you've been looking at it the wrong way your entire life. You think you've got me. You think you understand Christianity. Or you're so despondent with this world and its selfishness and its loneliness and its sickness and its darkness... That you're over it. The kingdom of heaven is right in front of your nose. Maybe it's, maybe it's a rabbit. He says, the only thing I need from you this Christmas is that you would open yourself up to wonder again, to repent, to think about your thinking, and to wonder again. Let's pray. Father, I'm conscious in these moments that this is where the real work is done, Lord. I'll be praying over every person in this auditorium this morning that um, there would be a freshness, that there would be unshackling, that there would be openness, that there would be softness, that there would be willingness to consider and to wonder. i particularly pray for anyone that is in a space this morning, Lord, that has wandered from you. Or even if it be just that one person who's sitting there feeling like the loneliest person in church this morning because they've just about had enough with life and frankly, they're feeling like they've just about had enough with you. Be with them. Holy Spirit, guard their paradigm shift in the midst of that chaos. Father, I pray over each person that might be here that is a person that has wandered and like many people that we've had this year that have wandered from church and then somehow looked us up on the internet or a friend has invited them or they thought they're just going to give this one last shot because the church has hurt them so much and they don't think they could do it again but something is stirring within them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them in this moment. And Father, for the rest of us, for myself included, I would pray in the midst of all of the stresses and the pressures and the realities and the deadlines and the family issues, all the stuff that is happening in Christmas this year, that that Lord, just even if it be in these final moments of silence together, that you would um, reawaken our hearts to that child-likeness that so many of us resonate with. That's why we love what we love when we see the little children and their faces and grandkids and children and the rest of it because it stirs at our very soul. And I would pray for each and every one of us through the simplicity of what we've heard this morning, Lord, that you would reawaken that in each and every one of us, that this not be just another Christmas this year. And I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.